0: Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We yeah, hope the, the message the you're are about, about to listen to will edify you and, and, and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. All right, I'm just going to start in an unusual way, not in unusual at least, but in the context of what I'm about to teach. I didn't plan this introduction, but as I began to prepare, for this sermon, and as I started to prepare this evening to teach, the Lord put it in my heart to remind you guys one more time about something I call a passion check. I've called it a health check. I've called it many other names in the past. But today, I just want to call it a passion check. And here is why. By the things that you are passionate about, by the passions of your heart, by your desires, you can tell the state of your spiritual life. Are you with me? By your desires, you can check the state of your spiritual life. What is that thing that commands your desire the most now? It's not a sin not to feel like praying, but not feeling like praying is an indication of a bigger problem. Are you getting it? It's not a sin not to feel like coming to fellowship, but not coming to fellowship is an indication of a bigger problem as well. Being able to neglect the gathering of believers or the things of God can be an important health check, or like I call it, passions check. Are you following me? Passions check. That when you consider the passions of your heart right now. For example, what you're spending on. For example, what you're spending on. For example, you know what you're giving attention and time to. For example, how consistently can you give yourself times of prayer? You can know for sure if genuinely there is something wrong with it. Do you know why? It is because when it comes to growth in God, there is an expectation for you to move from a place of duty to a place of delight. And from time to time, what has become delightful might feel dutiful where you feel like it's a lot of stress to do it, but it's an indication that you need to balance yourself back. Are you getting what I'm teaching you this morning, this evening rather? It's an indication and so as a wise student, as a mature believer, once you notice this, you need to begin to put things in place. Listen, from different times in your life, you would experience times like this at different times in your life for different reasons. And that is how we know that you've learned to be consistently victorious in your work with God, which is part of the vision statement of the Catalyst community, that all men, become saved, and become perpetually victorious in their walk with God. The way to become perpetually victorious in your walk with God is that you scarcely have down times in God. But even when you have down times in God, you know what to do to pick yourself back up. Are you getting what I'm saying? And you do it. It means that the expectation of excellence and consistency in spiritual gatherings will not be too much. For you. Are you getting what I'm saying? Have you ever felt like it's too much for you? Why do I have to always come to to this? Why do I have to always come for this? Why do I have to always come for this? Or come for prayers? It's a genuine feeling. That people would have. Or some people do have right now. But when you understand what I'm telling you. You will see for sure. That as you grow in God, you know how to handle this. You see this as a true indicator of something you need to work on. And you seek the help and you get the help. Are you listening to me? This is important. And I decided to start this way in such a way that you can have a passion check. So the first point of wisdom for you before I go into the teaching. Is that when you see yourself. Being short of the standards that are set for you for your spiritual growth. You must be wise enough to know that there is a problem that needs to be fixed. It might not feel like it, I'm telling you. You might not feel like there's any problem. But it's a passions check. Do you understand what I just said? It's a what? It's a passions check. It's a passions check. The Bible records this experientially, we know this. It's a passion check. There is deeply a problem with me. I need to fix it. It's not as small as it seems. One of the heaviest things that will ever happened to me, for example, is missing church. I will beat myself up almost through the day. Are you with me? I'll just continue to think. And maybe that was why I was able to, this was able to come to me because I think while I sat. I was so weak this morning, I woke up late. The person was supposed to drag me, wasn't able to drop me, you know. And so I sat and I thought of it, and it was so heavy in my heart. And I just thought of it that if it's so heavy in my heart, why is it not heavy in other people's hearts when, when they miss meetings or prayers or things like that? You have to be able to always do a passion check. Are you getting this? This is very important. And so when the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 25, when the apostle Paul says that I shall continue with you, he says, he says, knowing this, I shall, con- having this confidence, alright, that I shall continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, you must understand that progress in the faith is also backed alongside with what? With joy in the faith. And so where there is imbalance in progress and joy, that is, there is no more excitement in your, in your wanting to come for spiritual meetings or prayers, even if it's long hours of prayers, then I must do something about it. I, do you get what I'm saying? What I'm telling you is not a same. What I'm telling you, you might not even know is happening. But a mature believer will take this indicator and change things in your life. So now, That that happened. I must then act. That has happened. I must then act. Why did this happen? Maybe I'm not giving God enough time. I mean, that's the way to think about it. So do a passions check. Maybe today. Maybe after this meeting. Maybe during this meeting. Just let your heart do a passions check. When you can do a passions check, it will be easy for us to have 60 people on meetings now, and yes, have 60 people on prayer meetings as well. Why? Everybody's able to know that there is a standard I must meet in God. And me meeting that standard and an expectation of that standard is not too much. And if I'm not able to meet that standard, maybe, just maybe, I have to do more on my path. I have to do more on my path. Alright, so welcome to this new teaching series, <laughs> Heads or Tails, I hope you're excited, I hope you've received that instruction. Alright, so welcome to our new teaching series, Heads or Tails, so the name eh, Have do you like the flyer, joke, alright, alright, amazing, okay, so welcome to our new teaching series, Heads or Tails, you're in for a great time in God's word, and I want to urge you To be very receptive in this series, I want you to take good notes. Meditate on your notes. Listen, in this series, make sure you don't come for the next series without meditating on the previous. Alright? Make sure you don't come for the next without meditating on the previous. And this is important. So be consistent each week because I'll be addressing different things. Towards the end of this series, we are going to be having a mini-series inside this series called Checkmate, where we are going to be discussing the wisdom of God over your finances. Alright, so listen, I'm going to try to touch everything I can touch. It will change your life. It will bless you. Make sure you are here. Alright, open your Bibles with me to the book of James. Abba James chapter 1 and verse 21. Is everybody there? Give me a thumbs up if you are there. Okay, amazing. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. He says, receive with what? With meekness. The word, the implanted word. And the word meekness there in the Greek is humility. Receive with humility the word of God. Have you ever come across people who cannot listen to a teaching Maybe because they've heard it before, or they feel like they have an idea of the per- of what the person is saying. Have you ever met people like that? While the teaching is going on, they are completing what the preacher is about to say before he says it, but they are not completing it, lo- they're completing it loudly. They are completing it so every other person can hear. Have you met people like that? You know, while the teacher is writing on the board, if you, if you have gone to school, they are just those people who who can't just sit down as uh, while the teacher is talking. You know, they are tapping you. I know this thing, I know this thing. They are comp- and you are like, Chief, calm down. Let me let me miss me. I don't know it. Me, I don't know it. Just calm down, chief. Or those people who, because they know it, will sit and disrupt, you know, distract you. So you probably don't want to sit down beside them when you come to church. Because you know that act will distract me all through. And so many times they are distracted, they do not listen properly, they distract others, and many times we come to tell that they don't even really understand the subject matter as they thought they did, but yet they didn't listen. The Bible says to receive the word with what? With meekness, with a mild disposition, with gentleness of spirit. That's what meekness means. With gentleness of spirit. With gentleness of spirit. You see, there's a temptation we have many times when we hear about a thing, depending on the topic. Have you noticed that when we have some types of topic, people used to flood and come to fellowship? Me, I know. <laughs> because I used to watch the attendance. And then there are some certain topics that will make some people you know, after some teachings, comment the, the group chat. Ah, thank you, sir. I was blessed. Tables broken. Heads rolling. But when you preach basic things that should get them equally excited, you see just two people. Thank you, sir. At. I'm like, thank you, sir. At. Those three scanty. So you'll be making the man of God think that he did not teach the word of God properly. But your heart must be receptive with joy. No matter what the teaching is. That's maturity. That's mature. If you are the type of person that gauges the sermon before you comes to listen, oh, I know what he's going to preach. He's, I see, you I mean, it Philippians one twenty five. This, this, this. You say this, this, this. If not grown, he says to receive the word with what meekness. Receive the word that is able to save your soul. Then in verse twenty two, he then says, "But be doers of the word." And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away. He says, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. Can you take, can you take 30 seconds to read through those few texts and just meditate on what it means? I'm going to still explain it, but just take, just take 30 seconds and go over that text. Just go over the text. You know, there's a way when we read text to you, you don't really think about what you're reading properly. But just just read it. You see, we've read this text time and again. And verse 22 has been the emphasis. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. I've emphasized the importance of being a doer of the word many times. But there is a context in the scripture that you must not miss. It says, if any is a hearer and not a doer, it says he's like a man that observes himself in a mirror. And when he goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was listen. What a way to explain being a doer of the word and not a hearer. You see, he's saying a person who is just a hearer, not a doer, is somebody who who looks at himself in a mirror and when he goes away, he immediately forgets. So uh, the, the Apostle Paul's, sorry, James's way. I'm used to saying Apostle Paul. James's way of explaining this is so important. Such that he's saying, being a doer of the word starts primarily in retention. Are you getting what I'm saying? In retention. Let's read it again. I want you to get this. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers, deceiving yourself. He says, if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So listen. Being a doer of the world starts first with retention. Your ability to retain the consciousness of who you are in Christ Jesus. And in the end, that will culminate to action. But first, it starts with what? Retention. Retaining in your memory. Retaining in your memory. It says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer. Do you see that? The emphasis is on not forgetting. So the way to rightly be a doer of the word is to retain in your consciousness the word of God. Are you getting this? Thumbs up if you get what I'm I'm saying. All right, good. Is he not being a forgetful hearer? So who is a doer? A doer is a person that does not forget. Do you get what I'm saying? It starts with retention. It starts with the mind. So long as you can retain the consciousness of who you are, your actions would align. So maybe your approach to being a doer of the word has been wrong all this while. So maybe the way to be a better doer of the word is to create a structure that helps you retain in your consciousness the things that you've learned. Maybe it's more about studying, more revising your notes, meditating on the word. I know you want to do, but there's a strategy here for being a doer of the word. Retaining your consciousness. Remember, that's what he's saying. Remember, retention, as long as you retain in your consciousness who you are, your actions align. If you get retention right, actions will follow. Did you hear that? If you get retention right, actions will follow. So maybe you need to change your approach. And so what we want to do in this series is to basically help you to connect your Sunday or your Thursday to every other day of the week for you. does you know what I'm saying? To connect your Sunday to every other day of the week. To connect the times where you hear the word of God to every other day where you are not coming to fellowship but able to retain in your consciousness and be a doer. Are you getting this? Because you learn a lot from the word of God, but a lot of people have not learned to give knowledge, relevance in their daily life. A lot of people have not learned to give knowledge, relevance in their daily lives. So how do you retain the consciousness of what you've learned till it becomes action? You see, a lot of us grew up knowing parents or knowing friends and people who are different on Sunday from how they are every other day of the week. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You grew up knowing a different side of probably your parents in church than at home or even friends. Because Sunday is the day for best behavior. Every other day is the day for the real you. You grew up hearing things during the week like, put aside, put aside the Bible, let's face reality. I, I get what I'm saying. You grew up hearing such things. You know, a lot of us can say, oh, I have an academic life, I have a a career life, I have this, this. But one thing that we are trying to help you understand is that your spiritual life must cut across all of it. So, a lot of people separate spiritual life from, from you know, academic life, from this, this. But your spiritual life cuts across everything. So you are not relegating your spiritual life and experiences Just Sunday services. Are you listening to me? You're not relegating to just Sunday services. The things you learn from the Word of God are not for intellectual stimulation. They must impact your relationship with people, impact every part of your life. Every part. Every single part. There should be no side of you that is outside of who you are in Christ Jesus. This has to be who you are every day. The man in Christ. The man in Christ. The man in Christ. The man in Christ. Christ. Please, are are you learning what I'm teaching you this evening? I'm taking my time to make emphasis here. When we talk about faith in Jesus, we talk about receiving the life of Christ. It must affect, affect your relationships, affect your career, affect how you handle money, affect how you talk to your family members, affect everything that you do. Listen, not knowing this might be the reason why you know so much theology. And when we see your character, it feels like you are a non-believer. Are you listening to me? This is important. There's a huge gap between the growth of many believers when they learn so much, have so much information about the Bible, the Greek words and everything. There's a gap between where they are in their head knowledge and their life, their real life. Their real life is almost in opposition to all that they know. You know, I remember many months back, somebody had challenged me for not, you know, giving enough information in my sermons, you know, all of the many Greek words and, and uh, you know, exegeses and everything. But, but for me, and I explained at the time, for me, the most important thing is the understanding and the impact in the lives of the disciples than all of the information. Because the goal is to disciple men and not to raise Bible scholars. Are you listening to me? Discipleship goes beyond your head knowledge. It it touches deep to how it impacts you. So you can know all the Greek words. Know their breakdown. Know the the prepositions, the noun. The noun form of all the words and the verb form of of all the words. Know how to break down deep Greek words. And Hebrew words. Not the parts of the Bible that are Aramaic and the parts of the Bible that are Hebrew. But if the distance between this and your conduct in your life is far, you are missing something. Listen, there would almost be no difference between you at the time and an atheist who is reading the Bible to disprove God. Why? Both of you are intellectually stimulating yourselves. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? All of you are intellectually stimulating yourselves. What makes you different is that the life of Christ is in you. It must touch every part of your life. Are you getting this? It must touch every part of your life. You know, I, some of you might have noticed that nowadays when I use Greek words, I, sometimes I don't even mention the Greek words. I just say in the Greek and I say the direct English rendition of the Greek to help you understand. Sometimes, because what I want you to pay attention to is not just the Greek word, but what it means. Because the reason why we give you the Greek rendition is not to intellectually stimulate you, it's to better aid your understanding. Are you getting it? So we are not trying to raise men who can just distribute, you know, and just repeat a lot of theological information and don't truly understand that it affects their lives. Are you listening to me? And this is good. Trust, listen, I'm not in any way speaking down or knowing Greek words. If you are if you're a studio student of the word of God, you must be able to break down text effectively and accurately. If you are not doing that properly yet, then you need to grow and learn some more. I mean, you must be able to, by yourself, when you meet a person, break down a text. And be able to, to prove beyond reasonable doubt to the person. All right. Using all forms of, 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 you know, all forms of explanations, cross references and things like that. But I'm saying there must not be a gap between where you are in that knowledge and your character or how you conduct yourself every other time. Please, are you following? You know, I listened to a sermon by my spiritual father. He said this exact same thing. And then I knew for sure that my heart was in the right place with this. It would always be surprising to me when I see someone who knows the word of God and still go ahead to make careless decisions in their everyday life. It will always be shocking to me. And when you confront them, they say, I know it now. I know it. So why are you doing that? Why? Why are you doing it if you know it? Why? Please, are you paying attention to what I'm teaching you? You can tell the believer he is seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is deep. But once in a while, you must explain how it affects his real life. Are you with me? Mean, you must see how it affects his real life. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Yes, you can call the text. Yes, you know what it means. Yes. But how does it affect his life? You have to tell him how it affects his life. Are you listening to me? What I'm saying is, explain to the believer that Christ is seated in heavenly places. Meaning what? What does it mean that Christ is seated in heavenly places? You have to be able to Explain. How does it affect you? Please, are you getting what I'm saying? So yes, there is information about it. You know something deep that Christ is seated in heavenly places. But listen, we must also help you understand that the fact that he seated in heavenly places means that you are justified. Are you with me? Being justified, it means that if your high priest is seated, it means God is at peace with you. He has done the work. Are you getting what I'm saying? You must help them know you are justified. God is at peace with you. So in your daily life, You must be able to respond this way and come to God boldly when you pray. Why? You don't owe God anymore. God is now with you. If Christ is seated, it means the work is done. It means there is a Sabbath. It means the rest that God spoke about has happened in your life. So now love God with your heart. Come to him boldly. Are you with me? You must be able to explain to him that being seated, that Christ being seated means that you are also sanctified. You must be able to explain to him that Christ being seated also means that what? That you have authority. How? If Christ is seated, it means he has all the authority and being seated there means what? That he's at the right hand of God where he's sitting, that he's in a place of authority. And then the Bible tells us that we are seated in him, meaning I'm also in a place of authority. So in your everyday life, no demon must challenge you. This is how I'm telling you. The person must learn how to apply this to their everyday life. Are you listening to me? You have power over demon spirits. So the irony is this. Plenty of people know that Christ is seated in heavenly places and they are seated with him. But they don't know that in their real life, when they see a demon, they can cast the demon out because they have all authority. Do you you understand what I'm saying? How does it affect your everyday life? Someone that knows that Christ is seated, yet is asking for forgiveness of sin every minute, and is living in condemnation. Do you see how there's a gap? So now they say, ah, Tolani, oh, there's no Tolani here. Tolani, you are leading prayer on Catalyst tomorrow. Then you say, Oh my God, I cannot. Oh, I sinned against God and I made a vow with God that until I repent, I cannot, I cannot. And you are like, Tolani, come and lead prayer now. You say, No, I, I, I cannot. It's not possible. No, 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 no. I have to, you know, try and get myself back. I've told God that this is the way I'm going to pay back for the sin. Tolani, but you know that Christ is seated. Are you getting it? And this same Tolani, when she's leading worship, will come and say, you know, just rise up on your feet, everybody. You know that Christ is seated in heavenly places and we are seated. So you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you know, but you don't know how it affects your life. Are you seeing the gap I'm talking about? the gap I'm talking about. So we have to be able to tell you what it means when you deal with things, all of the information you know theologically. So when we tell you that Christ loves you so much and he died for you we must also tell you that if someone died for you, you must be ready to reciprocate it to other people. I guess what I'm saying? Because your life is no longer your own. We must tell you that the love of Christ for you would require you to also love other people the same way unless you will be a hypocrite. Do you trust what I'm saying? That someone can forgive you and die for you and love you so much and you can't love other people like that. There's a problem. Are you listening to me? What I'm telling you now is wisdom. That is wisdom. The application of knowledge. Listen, that definition is simple enough for me. Simple enough for me. How to apply all of the knowledge. How to skillfully apply. All of the knowledge that you are receiving. How? How to skillfully see evidence in your life. If he forgave me, then I should also be able to forgive other people. That's wisdom. That is wisdom. So Jesus, while preaching one day, he says if you go to offer sacrifice and you remember that you have an issue with your neighbor, go back and settle that issue. Many people don't know this. And you've read the text on and on and on. Many people don't know that you cannot continue to pray and be beefing another person. Do you get what I'm saying? That's wisdom. Mark 11, 25. It says that whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. So you've read the Lord's Prayer for, for such a long time. But you don't still know. And you don't still accept. You thought Jesus was just saying it to those two guys. You must see how it affects your life too. Do you get what I'm saying? You know, in the next teaching, I'll explain to you how the Bible tells us. That the things that were written, they were written for our learning. That we through what they went through might be wise. It might have not been written to you, but it was written for you. And I'll explain that in the next teaching. But you must take wisdom. Why did Jesus stop him from praying? Is it because God just is not going to forgive him? There's nothing he can do. Is it even because his forgiveness? You know, there's a way you will read that text and you think that God will only forgive him if he forgives other people. So there's a works mindset. Are you with me? But that's not what is happening. You must learn and see that text for what it truly is. A lesson on conduct. You cannot continue to pray. While you are still beefing other people? Please pay attention to what I'm teaching, oh, you know, and open your hearts. Hallelujah! So when you read Paul's prayer to the churches, what we call the Pauline prayers, you know the text on mute your mic. Cease not to make mention of you in my prayer. Cease not to pray for you, making mention of you in my prayer. Or rather, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. You are laughing at me. <laughs> that what? May give unto us what? So, it says that he sees not to give thanks for them. Alright? That God would give them what? Wisdom and Revelation by the Spirit, a lot of us, when we read it, we only see the revelation part. And I know we've emphasized the revelation part, but please don't forget there is wisdom there too. Are you guess what I'm saying? There's wisdom there. Wisdom and revelation. So, what Paul is, I, I, I'm glad that when I read the text, I saw it and I'm like, oh my God. So, the Apostle Paul isn't just emphasizing that we grow in revelation knowledge. It's also emphasizing that we grow in wisdom, which is the application of that revelation knowledge. So, listen, you might have all the light bulbs there is to have. That is, in every teacher. you say, ah, ah, deep. Jesus, I didn't see it like that. Wow. I had my Edo moment. The eyes of my understanding was flooded with life. But don't let it stop at either moment. Let it translate to wisdom. Are you getting this? Let it translate to what? To wisdom. Let it translate to wisdom. This is important. I've seen situations where church people don't know what I'm teaching you. You see, one day, I'm going to be giving you a lot of experiences for you that you can learn from. And I'll explain why in the next teaching, but just take it for this teaching. One day we came back from a powerful weekend in Lagos. I was still in school at the time. Bacock University, for those who don't know. I was in Bacock University at the time. So we went for a long weekend. We signed a long distance pass. We went for a long weekend. So the, the meeting was so powerful. We had, I think we had a 12 hours. Um, overnight worship session. I think it was night of worship, or yeah, night of worship. About twelve hours we there overnight. I was, you know, we were in the sand worshiping God because the power of God had hit us on the floor in different ways. You know, after that we went to another meeting. I think it was Young and yielded. The three. It was supposed to be a two-day or a whole day meeting. Morning, afternoon, and night. Don't be surprised. I say Young and yielded. I used to follow, um, I can say that I used to follow Apostle Selman's ministry at the time, all right, before I started following Pastor Emmanuel Ehren, all right, so, and that's why when I correct you about some things, know that I've had experiences in both sides, so I know why I believe what I believe today, all right, and I I owe a lot of, I can't, there are some things in my life that I owe to being under his ministry, all right, if you know me well, and this is wisdom, and it's by the wisdom of God I'm telling you this. If you know me, if you know me well, alright, there are some things in my prayer life that is very similar. Even the way I pray, that is very similar. And the things I say, I was listening to one of the recordings the other day, and I said something, and I knew. <laughs> I knew where it was from. Not the wordings, but the way I sounded. Are you with me? Anyways, I do not follow... As much again, not that I think that I, I think anything, what's the word now? I want to balance this also so you don't take me out of context. Not that I don't appreciate the labor there, alright? But at the same time, when it comes to the exposition and the teachings of the word, I believe in a very different way to break down the word and approach it today. Is that clear? Alright, and that's why I follow up Post Manuel Aaron, that's my spiritual father. Alright, let's move on. I'll try my best with wisdom when I talk about other ministries, even though I don't believe all the same things they believe, to also give credit to their labor. Alright? So that's wisdom as well. Alright, let's go on. So I come back from a meeting. From that, that was that meeting, the second one. Then on the on the Sun, I think the evening of that one, I can't remember how we did it that day. We went for another, you know, video. Those of you that I'd probably watched maybe Victor Lorenzi's video, Return. You might have seen me in the video, Rolling on the Floor. They showed me a lot of times in the video. Alright? <laughs> but don't worry, that was dead. <laughs> but now, we got back to school. And we had Philadelphia's son was on the phone with me and said that she didn't know that. She thought I was just the technical director of Philadelphia. She didn't know I was vice president of Philadelphia at the time as well. Anyways. <laughs> So we came up from this thing. We had Philadelphia's audition, I think. And so we went to Bethel. For those of you in back back, work, I'm going to give you a reference. Bethel is a hall, all right? It's a hall we use for rehearsals. And you know, they used to do parties in Bethel sometimes. So they had a party there. The place was very dirty and everything. So now, myself and the president at the time, I think Simi had graduated, so I was vice president now for ERI. All right, so myself and the president at the time now started cleaning up the place. We're now calling other ex-schools that you guys, aren't you supposed to be here now? Four of the people I just came from this powerful program with, where we were rolling on the floor with the power of God. <laughs> all right, where we stayed days. We sometimes will go, we go fast. I think that time we actually fasted because we will now have plenty money, so we we'll eat just maybe once all through the weekend or twice all through the weekend. Now I called them and I said, "Ah, guys, where are you? The meeting has. Um, we're about to start. What's it called now? Audition. And we need to clear up the um, clean up the place." You would not believe three of them instantly picked up a fight with me. Can I tell you why they picked up a fight with me? Because they were fighting amongst themselves. So listen, we just came back from the program in the morning. In the afternoon, the three of them were fighting against themselves. Now I came to correct them and say, please leave your fight. Let's go. Then they came and then they saw, mm-hmm. Listen, someone came and tongue lashed me from head to toe. First of all, I'm your. First of all, I'm your VP. Second of all. I'm your brother in Christ. So if you don't ex, if you don't respect VP, you can, you can even respect the love and bond we share in Christ. All right. Totally! <laughs> totally, honestly, I'm not your mate. G- like, do you understand? Honestly, I'm not your mate. Totally. <laughs> so in carnal sense and in spiritual sense, there should be no reason why that will happen. Now they finished me from head to toe that I should respect that they have a fight. All right. I cannot expect them to come out behaving like nothing happened. They have to settle their fight. Ah. I'm not joking. No. This fight lasted almost two weeks. I was lost because what I called you to come for your duty and you were having a fight in your room. Listen, what I'm telling you, all of these three or four people, we were just coming back from a weekend of power. i mean, my weekend of power. Come out from a weekend of power. <laughs> Alright? In my like, I, I couldn't believe it. Like I opened my mouth like this when they started talking to me. They said, even if you want to correct, correct in love. I'm like, so what is love? Is love that I will leave you to continue doing your, your fight. We have work to do here. And some of you know what I, what what, what, I, what I'm talking about. Some of you have attended camp meetings with your families. You know how camp meetings are? You will park plenty cars. So when people want to leave the hall, the, the venue is always traffic, alright? And then you will see a man with collar, white collar, that is a pastor. Is your he, is head correct? Can't you see my car? Heck sir. So sir, we just came out from. <laughs> are you getting what I'm saying? And it's a dangerous place for your heart to be. To be content that your lifestyle remains uninfluenced by your theology. That's the definition of religion. It's a terrible place to be. Are you listening to me? Listen, there are many instances where this happens. I just gave you a relatable example. You finish fasting 21 days. Now, you can relate to that. And just the following week, you are acting out of character. You are the one that is insulting people, causing problems everywhere. See problem. And that's why Paul always ends his epistles the way he does. Let's go to Ephesians. Let's do a quick Bible study. I wish I had enough time. Makwara vela, Listen, hey, in this meeting, make sure you listen well and listen to the instruction and the wisdom of God. Let's do a quick Bible study, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Like I said, everybody should begin to come with their Bibles, so make sure you're opening your Bible. If you don't have a physical Bible, go and buy. Alright? Ephesians 1, 7, let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Make sure you pay attention. If you miss one part, you might not get to the conclusion. All right? It says, in him we have have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us all in wisdom and prudence, Now, he's talking to a certain people. He says, they have redemption by his blood. They have forgiveness of sin. He says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in himself. He says, now, who is he talking to? The church at Ephesus. All right? They were predominantly, what? A Gentile church, in a sense, because, you know, that was where he planted the church in Acts, or I think it was Acts 19 or 18 where the guys were worshipping idols. I, mean, I think it's because of this church self that they says so mightily did with the word and prevail, if I'm correct. Alright, because they had dropped their idols. So for them to say about your city, <laughs> the amount of converts in your city was enormous. They had to say the word of God mightily prevail. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, now he's talking to them. But he's not talking to them as Gentiles. He's talking to them that, listen, we have redemption, all of us together through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, he says, he has made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. In ten, he says that in the disposition of the fullness of time, that he may gather together, one, in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, and that which is in earth, in him. 11. He says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 12, he offices that we who first trusted in Christ. Who are the we who first trusted? The Jews. Alright? That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of the glory, of his glory, in him you also after you had, Now, who are the you also? The Gentiles. Alright? So now, what he's doing is that he's proving that both Jews and Gentiles have salvation in who? In Christ Jesus. Are you getting it? So, he says, you also... In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, it says, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, now it says, our inheritance, until the redemption of the protestation to the praise of his glory. Listen, if you read this text, just by reading this text, you cannot doubt the salvation of the Gentiles. Alright? Did you see what, did you, are you understanding what I'm saying? Because he explained how they are saved. They receive redemption through what? The blood of Jesus. Alright? That even though the Jews believed first, he says they also trusted and believed and they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why he also mentioned the Holy Spirit of promise. Are you me? Right? Because if the Spirit dwells in you, he says it's a seal. So what he did there first was to what? Properly prove their salvation. He made a distinction that emphasized how Jews are saved and how Gentiles are saved. Are you getting it? So what he did was he made a guarantee statement. That's what I like to call it. Verse 14, he says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the produce? So he made a guarantee statement. He was making a point. Now go to Ephesians chapter 2. It's a Bible study, so you have to open your Bible very quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Alright? What does he say in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2? He says, "And you had he quickened, who were what? Who were dead in trespass and sin, wherein in, in, in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now was in children of disobedience." So he talked about their conversation before. He says, that, "Among whom we also we had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling desires of our flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature what? Children of what? Of wrath. Don't get carried away. Pay attention." They were by his natural words, children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4, what does he now say? He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, had quickened us together with Christ, he says, by grace are you saved, and has raised us to, us together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've explained this text to you, he says that in the ages to come, he may show us the exceeding riches. So basically, he says, where they were before. And then he says, where they are now. Are you getting this? And that is by faith and by grace that salvation has come to them. All right. And that God, in the simplicity of how it came for them to be saved, was showing the exceeding riches of his graciousness. Are you getting this? But when you read these texts, don't read them in isolation. I've taught you that as a good Bible student, You have to understand to read the verses in context of the chapter and the chapter in context of the whole book and the book in context of the whole Bible. Are you getting what I'm saying? Do you understand what I just said? That you read a verse in... Let me just make sure some people are not lost. Can you confirm that you understand what I'm saying? Alright, so now... We are trying to read this with context of the whole book. The first part, yeah, he proved their salvation. The second part, he tells them how they are saved by the graciousness of God Jesus. Alright? He tells them, now look at verse 11, you'll see what he's doing. Verse 11 of Ephesians 2. He says, wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentile in the flesh. Do you get it now? They were not the people chosen of God. He's making a point. He says, you being gentle in the flesh, who are called on circumcision, but by that which is called circumcision, in the flesh made by hand, he says that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Do you see that? The commonwealth of Israel was talking about the fact that there was a promise of salvation to the children of Israel. Are you getting this? Responses. Are you getting this? All right. It says, and strangers from the covenant of promise. Do you see that? Gentiles did not know the covenant of promise. It says, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, what does it say? But now Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off have been made what? Nigh by the blood of Christ for he's our peace who has made both one and had broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Hey, are you getting his points now between one and two? He was talking to Gentiles in one. In two now, after proving their salvation in one, in two now, he's also saying that the middle wall of partition between us has been broken. So now we all, both you and I, both Jews and Gentiles, have found their salvation in who? In Christ Jesus. Are you seeing his point? He's establishing the salvation of the Jews, of the Gentiles, theologically. He's establishing what's the salvation of the Gentiles theologically. Alright? In 3, he begins to call himself the servant, you know, go to 3. The servant of God, explaining mystery. I wish there was time for me to read everything here. Alright? But I want you to see something. In 3, he begins to talk about the fact that, you know, let me just read 3 from 1. He says, For this cause I call the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you heard of the disposition of the grace of God which is given me towards to you, word, he says, how that by revelation... He made known unto me the mystery. What is the mystery? He says, As I wrote, as I afore wrote in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Guys, what's the mystery? Hey, responses. What's the mystery, guys? He, the mystery is what he wrote. He said, What I wrote afore in a few words. So the mystery is what he wrote in chapter 1 and chapter 2, that was both Jews and Gentiles will find their salvation in Christ Jesus. Do you get what I'm saying? It says, in verse 5, it says, which in the other ages was not made known unto the Son of Man, as it is now revealed unto his only apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, he now repeats it. It says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of same bodies, partakers of his promise. Do you see what the Apostle Paul tried to do in Ephesians 1, 2, 3? I know I'm taking my time to explain this. He explained to them theologically that Gentiles are saved by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, verse four. Chapter four, rather. I'm picking just important parts because we don't have time to read everything. and begin to do a, a, an explanation on everything. It takes us months. I can tell if you want to expound Ephesians itself. All right. Now, in chapter four, verse 17, after everything he has said in 1, 2, 3, chapter 4, verse 17, pay attention. He now begins to say, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. That's what? Listen, I want you to read this. On mics. let's read 4. 4, 17 together. Alright, everybody want to go? 4, 4, verse 17, what does he say? Therefore, and testify in the Lord. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of the heart. Wait. So, all the things he has been saying in 1, 2, and 3. After explaining in 1, 2, and 3 to them, he now comes to 4 and says what? Now you are confirmed that you are in Christ. He now says, "Therefore, this I say, and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk." Are you getting it? If I, do, you see, do you see the correlation? He proved that they are saved in Christ Jesus by faith. Now he's now telling them: Now that you know that you are saved, you cannot walk as the other Gentiles. Do you understand? Hey, yeah. do you understand? You can't walk like the other Gentiles walked in futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feelings have given themselves unto lewdness. So he he tells them what to do. To put it all together, from the beginning, you see him make a distinction. For then he says, even though they are Gentiles, they are believers. So now, after he has established that, he can say, put away. Look at verse 22. Look at 20. Let's start from 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. And that says in 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows. So there's an instruction after proving to them that they are saved. There's an instruction. And the instruction is that they put off concerning the old man. The things of the old man. In 22 says, and be renewed in in the spirit of your mind. It says, and now put on the new man. So, there is the wisdom in this is that after learning about who you are in Christ Jesus, the action there is that you follow these instructions. Put away the old man. Put on the new man. Are you seeing that? Put on the new man. Look at verse 25. Let's do this. Look at verse 25. Who's going to read 25 for me? Tabula, read 25 for me. Mm -hmm. Listen. so now after proving to the Gentiles that they are saved and how they are saved and how there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles he now says therefore putting away lying this is wisdom in God some of you lie (laughs) and it's funny that I'm saying it But now he's telling them, put away lying. This is is where wisdom in the word of God comes. This is where you are able to apply what you learn on Sunday. Everything we read in 1, 2, and 3 are theological truths that you all know. Yes or no? Yes. You can recite the missions 1, 2, and 3, at least some of you by heart. Or at least a part of it by heart. But now the apostle Paul comes and says that if this is reality in your life, put off concerning the former conversations, the old man, and now put on the new man. He now says, because you know this, put away lying. This is how you connect it. A lot of us lie. Ah! You see, as I, you see that ah, I put? it sound effective to help you know the, <laughs> the limit of the lie. Ah! And society will help you think that there's something called white lie that is different from what other lies there? Blue lie. And where we live many of us in trying to be street smart we started to behave like what we have been saved from. That's what Paul was telling the Gentiles. You cannot behave like what you have been saved from. Do you understand? You can't be like the other Gentiles who are blind. You must live differently. You can't lie for fun. Or for being street smart. Are you with me? Some of you, if you say that, ah, it's raining outside, so we we have to go and check. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we have to go and check. We know you said it to... Or well, we, we just want to go and check. And this is what the Apostle Paul is teaching. You can't go on behaving like Gentiles. So when we tell you of your salvation, we must also tell you how to apply it in your everyday life. Don't lie. He says why. It tells you why they should not lie under. It says, Don't lie. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So don't lie. I'm a believer as well. Don't lie to me, too. <laughs> I did get it. Don't lie. Then he goes out. Like, he says, be angry. He says, do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. He was quoting Psalm 4, verse 4. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Your ability to sleep peacefully when you are angry with somebody would always baffle me. <laughs> and I'm also my big guilty of it because sometimes I, I've, I've not sometimes properly processed things. But I have a place in my heart that must be open to just letting things go. And better still how about addressing it and reaching out to the person. Don't go. He says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't sleep peacefully after fighting with your friends and not solving the issue. Hey, listen to what I'm saying. It's important. Don't sleep peacefully after fighting with your friends. If you already do it now, make it a culture not to do it. Teach your heart, train your heart. Not to sleep peacefully after fighting with somebody. That's wisdom. As little as it might sound, many of you are guilty of it. Are you listening to me? Many are guilty of it. Like I said, even now I have to be conscious of this. Many are guilty of it. You cannot say that's how I am. You say that's how I am, then you will not resolve the issue. It says, don't let the sun go down. Don't go to bed with hearts or a problem with someone and let it brood. Because letting such brood is, is where resentment, hatred comes from. Are you getting this? He says, be angry and do not sin. So yes, what the person did is annoying, but don't let your heart brood on it. Don't let it cause something. Hey, I'm telling you, this is this is this is something that must not grow in your heart. It's like a virus that if you allow seeds in your heart, it will take over. Once, he, when, once anger is allowed to brood in your heart, it will take over. And so you can hear words of correction like this, but you in your heart you are trying to excuse it that is not your situation. it's you I'm talking to. Are you listening to me? It's you I'm talking to. Don't escape it. It's you who has recently had a fight with your friend I'm also talking to. Don't go to bed with hearts. It baffles me. After such powerful teaching and instructive ones as this, some people might not still do the right thing. Look at Colossians, Colossians two nine. It says, "For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily." Verse ten says, "And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power." He says, "In whom you were also circumcised with the circumcision that is made without hands." We know this as believers. That we have the circumcision of the Spirit, the mark of the Spirit living in us. He says, by putting off the body of sin and the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He says, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. He says, who raised him from the dead. He says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, he has made alive with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So the Bible says that when Christ was risen, you were made alive with him. You who were dead in your trespasses, you've been brought out of darkness into light. In verse 16, it says, let the one judge you in food or drink. Go to three. We just read two. Why you now go to three? You now says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. Are you seeing the wisdom here? This is wisdom and revelation. You got revelation that you... That were that you who were dead in Christ Jesus have been risen with Christ. And so now you are alive with Christ Jesus and you've been risen to the newness of life. The wisdom in it now is that that revelation does not end there. Because now that I'm risen, I seek the things that are above. I have been risen from death. I'm not going back to the conversations of death. Are you getting this? I'm not going back to the conversations of death. He says, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Wisdom is to know that the things of this earth are not the focus. Are you getting it? If you go to verse 12, it says, therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved, it says, put on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, it says, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, he says, if anyone has complaint against the other, even as Christ forgives you, you must also do. Do you see what the, the Apostle Paul said there? He says, if Christ forgives you of your sin, you must also forgive another person. Are we listening to me? You must also forgive other people. I didn't say that. So that thing I tell you, that you must forgive other people because Christ forgave you, is wisdom from the word. The Apostle Paul says, if Christ forgave you, you must forgive other people as well. It's wisdom from the world. So forgive. Forgive. I'm saying this and I'm sure that there are some amongst you who haven't retained this in their consciousness. The way to be a doer of the world. That's where we started from. Retain this in your consciousness. Listen to the word of the Lord this morning, this evening. Forgive. Forgive. Make amends. Make amends. I'm telling you by the wisdom of God. It does not matter in that case you are in who is right or wrong. Seek to make amends. Are you listening to me? Seek to make amends. Seek to make amends. Swallow your pride. Reach out to the person or reach out to the people. Make amends. Make amends. If you follow the Apostle Paul's logic, you must understand that if Christ reached out to you first, the Bible says that he died for you even if when, while we were yet seen as it says, God commended his love to us in that while we were yet seen as Christ died for us. It means he took the first step. It means you also must be willing to do the same for the other people around you. So I know you will be vulnerable if you do it, but take the first step. Are you listening to me? Take the first step. This is wisdom in the word of God. Oh my God, I have so much to still say. Wisdom from the word of God. This is it. Are you following me? Go out of your way. Step out of your self-righteousness and reach out. Some people don't know how to act on the word of God. Let me tell you something. I make bold to say that it is the character of an unbeliever to not be entreated by the word of God. If the word of God comes to you and you cannot be entreated by it, we can doubt your salvation according to 1st John. I know I'm repeating and staying on this matter. It's the character of an unbeliever to not be entreated by God's word. So I'm, I'm begging you. I'm also instructing you. And I'm also giving you wisdom of the word. It's the character of an unbeliever, such that you hear such a powerful sermon as this, and you are still convinced in your heart that you will make amends, It's wrong. And first John helps us understand why. He tells you, he says, that's how we know if you are not of God. Are you listening to me? It says, from the way you love your neighbors, we can tell. Go to verse 18 of Colossians 3. I hope you're opening your Bible when you're reading this with me. Go to verse 18 of Colossians 3. He then says, wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. It says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. It's wisdom in God. After proving all the theological things, he then gives an instruction. He says, Submit to your husband as it fitting the Lord. He says, Husbands, love your wife. Do not be bitter towards them. In 20, he says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Listen, there's a balance. When he says what? Wives submit. He then says husbands love. So if your wife is submitting and you are the husband, you are not loving. Many times Paul gives you the wisdom. If the church of Christ is submitted to God, to Jesus, and Jesus loves the church, in the actions of Jesus, you can see what love means. Be able to give your life for your partner. That's what. That's the wisdom of God. That when you think about your marriage, when you think of salvation, you must learn lesson from salvation. The wisdom you take from salvation is that in your relationships as a wife you must submit and submission is not loss. Are you getting it? Submission is not loss and as a husband you must love and love is in the context of deep sacrifice. If you do these two things you would experience all the long-lasting marital peace that you are praying for for five years, sit down and take the wisdom of the word of God. Are you listening? Some of the things that we pray about are things that can be solved with wisdom in the word. Are you listening to me? Wisdom in the word. Wisdom in the word. Wisdom in the word. He gives another balance. and says, children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well pleasing to the Lord. In 21 he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So, so a lot of African parents, and, and we must not repeat the same mistake. A lot of African parents only know children obey your parents in the Lord. But our parents don't know. Fathers, do not provoke your children unto anger. Are, are you listening to me? Do not provoke your children unto anger. Now, an African man cannot relate to this. But this is the wisdom of God. Because you are not mere African. You are a believer. You are a child of God. Your identity is not in your race. It's in Christ. So when you offend a child, listen, it's okay to say sorry. It's okay. It's okay to say sorry. It's okay to say I was wrong. Can I tell you, so many of us grew up in families where the father can be wrong and the, like, you have to the mother will still apologize even though the father is wrong. We have to change. It's not biblical. Are you getting it? It's not biblical. Or that as a father, you cannot acknowledge, you think it's better leadership that you cannot be caught in a fault. It's not the wisdom of the Bible. The wisdom of the Bible says, He says, don't provoke your children. It says, fathers, Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. There's something it means when it says, lest they become discouraged. When you wrongly accuse a child, learn to say sorry. The word of God is schooling us today. There is a way you can continue to beat a child, that the child will stop trying. That's what it means, lest they they, they not be discouraged. Are you with me? Or lest they get discouraged, rather. That it will get to a stage, after you flog them, flog them. Have you been in that situation before? That your parents don't know if you did it or you did not do it. They will say, confess, confess. Confess, confess. <laughs> I know it's been serious. I've been known to laugh since you can laugh. Don't worry, but just make sure you listen to what I'm saying. You've done it to your sibling before. I know you do not know if it's him or not, but you just assume by intuition that the only person that could have taken it is him. you. Say confess, confess. You will not. it will not say it's me that did it. It was not him. He was just scared that you were going to flog him. You will not still flog him on top. Trust issues. That's why you, you get into relationships, you have trust issues too. <laughs> trust issues. It's says, less they become this, it will get to a state they will stop trying. Have you seen kids? We have to, listen, in our generation, we must raise kids differently. Have you seen kids who are tired? They don't try anymore. Is it okay? They just do whatever they like. There are some, there are some boys I met in secondary school. They can't chest. Listen, they will chest skin and they will put you on their chest safe. I don't know. They will chase the game. One boy, Hillary. Hey! That uh, boy will intentionally do something so that he can embarrass teachers. So when they say mass flogging, they say who wants to go first? Hillary will go first. When they flog him, flog him, like, the teacher will be angry. They will flog him, flog him, flog him again. Almost nationality. Hillary! Everywhere will scatter. You know, he was he will dust, dust, dust. One man that they used to claim is the one that can flog the most. That guy was a copper. Instead of him to calm down and keep his reputation he flogged in flogging normal human beings, he went to flog Hillary. <laughs> People were telling him, Salim Hillary. Hillary just went there. He was flogging him. Pa, pa, pa. Next thing, and you know King's College is a very rough school, so he was flogging him directly on the board, like, pa, 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 pa. He saw that Hillary did not shake. Hillary was doing like this. You know, I was flogging him, pa, pa. Hillary was doing like this, pa, pa like this, as he said like this, boom, everybody started shouting, hey, demand man started flogging his neck. That's how students went, that they carry demand. The I'm not even joking with you, they carry the man, <laughs> because has been too wicked. <laughs> so now, all the reputation he had was lost, I'm not saying you're going to carry a teacher, but I'm just telling you, <laughs> you know, for the fun of it. Alright, but listen, such a child, someone like Hillary, when we are looking for somebody to take the stand, he derives pleasure in it. Yeah, that's what the Bible calls lest they become discouraged. He is discouraged. <laughs> he does not care. So he will just go and do it just to embarrass the teacher. So you think you are flogging the actual person, but now no more justice. No more do you know what I'm saying? You are not instructed anymore. Are you with me? Listen, what we call punishment, we must change. Let's instruct children, let's not punish them. You, you see. The words that we use shows the, the, the intention of many hearts. You can correct a child by scolding the child. Are you with me? Mean, and by discipline. Alright? And if if ever you decide to use skin, it must still be correction, not punishment. Because when you punish a child, the child does not know why. When you correct a child, you give instruction on what. That's the, that's the wisdom of the Bible. Are you getting it? That's the instruction of the Bible. So, your goal is correction. Not to show that I'm the man in the house. So, many parents, what we, what they learn to do is to show that I wear the pants and the, I'm the man of the... You cannot in my house. Do. So, we don't even know why they are flogging us. You know, I remember going to school then. Five pairs of white uniform. But I only come back with two. <laughs> Can I tell you the honest truth? It's not my fault. I will listen... The best students, you know, if he goes to King's College, and comes me. I mean, good student, that's why I came back with two. I'm not like Some people came back with white and brown. <laughs> Some people came back with other people's uniform. It's in my school that you will see people wear, your name is Toby, you are wearing chuku. They wrote it with And You are wearing it boldly on your uniform. <laughs> you, the child will not get home. You will flogging. him. It's not his fault. You can't spread cloth in King's Club. They will steal it. So what do we do? We go and spread cloth by generator so it will dry fast and we are in front of it watching it and reading. You know? It's not our fault. So talk to me. Let me explain to you that life is a jungle in the school you put me, sir. It's not like I want to misplace the, <laughs> the uniform. Oh my God. I, I'm going to take a bit more of your time because I, I want to drop good instructions today. So the word of God is schooling us. So what we think is a Yoruba adage is not actually a Yoruba adage that says that if you scold a child with the left hand, you pull the child closer with the right hand. The Bible says, don't provoke your child to anger lest it becomes discouraged. So listen, scold the child, but make the child remember you can always still come back to me. I love you. This is what you did wrong. Are you listening? This is what you did wrong. Verse 22, the Bible tells you how to behave in the office. He says, born servants, he says, obey in all things, masters according to the flesh. Now I was talking to slaves, yes. But listen, if you owe service to anybody, it applies to you. He says, not with eye service or men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. He says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So listen, you do a nine to five job, but your WhatsApp story is updated every hour. You are a fraud. They did not pay you to update WhatsApp story. They paid you to walk. Walk the work. Is this wisdom from the Bible or not? Some of you don't feel bad. They employed you to work. They are paying you salary, but you are... You know, there's a way you can be in the middle. You are not doing any work. You are just floating around. Seek. Ask them, please, what is the work I'm supposed to be doing? Do you understand? What is the work? If they paid you to log in a particular amount of hours, please do it. If you are genuinely capable of doing it, do it. Are you with me? Do it. He says, he says, don't be i don't don't do eye service or men pleasers. So that's when every other time you are watching VLC in the office, you are watching movies, you YouTube videos, Netflix, once your boss comes, you quickly or, or um, control, what's it called now? Control F, or therefore, quickly move it, put it in, in code, or whatever work you are doing, or Excel sheet. Once the boss is gone again, boom, boom, you click it back, you continue watching your movie, he says, don't do eye service, don't be just pleasers of men, but or in insincerity of heart-fearing God, serve rightly. He says, whatever you do, do it heartily. Listen, the caveat here is that he says you are doing it unto the Lord, so you might think you are just working for that boss, but it says, in, in the sincerity of your heart, it says, you are doing it unto the Lord. Don't go, to, listen, some people go to work, you do horrible things. Then you come and be praying, God, turn the heart of my boss. The heart of kings is in the hand of God. Turn, you are, Go and do the right thing. Go and do the right thing. When they sack you, it's not the devil. You are not just diligent. Do you understand? You see that I say when because if you are not serious, they will sack you. So be diligent. Be diligent. Give your best. Give your best. Now we pray supernatural job retention. Supernatural job retention. Supernatural job retention. You have to do physical diligence retention. <laughs> I'm joking, but just do what you need to do. Hallelujah. You were not treated well once at work. Keep doing the job. They don't appreciate your work. Keep doing the Bible says that your reward is also with God. Are you with me? It says knowing that of the Lord you would receive the reward of, of the inheritance. Listen, get wisdom. Tell someone in the comment section say get wisdom. You can omit your mic and say, get wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy gettings, get understanding. It says, it's the principal thing, meaning chief thing. Get wisdom. Proverbs 8, 10, it says, receive my instructions and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than rubies. And all things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Wisdom is better than rubies. Proverbs eleven twelve. It says, "He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbour, but a man of understanding holds his peace." Proverbs thirteen ten says, "By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom." Proverbs sixteen sixteen says, "How much better to get wisdom than gold?" And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Here are some areas you need to work with wisdom. I'm just going to treat one today, and maybe in the next teaching we'll treat the next one, and then I'll go to the next topic. And I'm just going to treat one areas where you should get wisdom. Number one, your time. What did I say? Your time. Get wisdom with regards to your time. Go to Colossians chapter four and verse five. I have Anna, that the Spirit gives. I have wisdom that the Spirit gives. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians. Your life will be better because of this. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, the first point is your time. It says, walk in wisdom to those who are outside, redeeming the time. Can you read it together, everybody? In three counts, let's read Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 together. One, two, go. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Same words he says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. He says, Because the days are evil, therefore do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. So your ability to control your time, the Bible says, is wisdom. It says, be wise and redeem your time. One way that you must apply wisdom is with your timing. If you are walking in wisdom, you would learn to redeem your time. What does it mean to redeem the time? Number one, to redeem the time means to buy back time from whatever might have influence over your time. From, the, from, from, from possessions, from the power of anything. It can also mean to set your time free from things that render you ineffective. It says, buy back your time. Redeem the time. That's where wisdom must come in. Second Corinthians 5.15, you know the text. It says, and it died for all that those who live should not live for themselves, but for Christ who died for them and rose again. So the life you live is not your own. Hence, if you truly believe that Jesus died for you, You will live for him. Are you listening to this? No wonder Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's a place you come to that anything that distracts me from the purpose of Christ, I must redeem my time from that thing. You have to have a great sense of time. He says redeeming the time. So they say, let's hang out today. You say, I can't because I have Bible study. Only you Bible study, Bible study. Listen, you know it is important to redeem the time. That's wisdom. Some people can't fathom it. You mean you are always in fellowship almost five times in a week? What are you fellowshipping? The Bible says, wisdom is to buy back your time. You have to be wise. The Bible says, in the last days, that scoffers would arise. So don't be ashamed of your convictions because of what people think. Listen, don't let don't don't feel foolish when other people are doing things that don't matter in the flesh and the time that you have you are using it to invest in the spirit. Don't feel bad. Don't feel foolish. Don't feel cheated. Feel wise. The Bible says, "It is wisdom to redeem your time." Are you listening to me? It's wisdom People will say all types of things. I've heard it before. And you would hear it. People will call you foolish for giving your time to the things of God. But listen, can I tell you the irony of it? Pay attention here. Can I tell you the irony of it? Time will tell. (laughs) Do you understand? Time will tell. If you use time wisely, time would also reveal it. Are you with me? Time reveals foolishness and time reveals wisdom. Are you getting what I'm saying? The things that seem wise on the spot in the lens of time might seem foolish. Do you understand what, I, what that means? That is the things that people are investing in now that makes you look foolish on the spot right now because you are giving your time to God. In the lens of time, when time passes, the true wisdom always is always revealed. Are you with me? A wise man is the one that invests for the future. Are you getting what I'm saying? So at this spot, when a wise man is investing, people think he's foolish. Why? Because the sun is shining. Or rather, because it's raining. So they don't know that there's a famine that is coming. But a wise man is a man who doesn't invest because of what seems wise now, but because of what seems wise in the length of time. So listen, you have to buy back your time. I'll give you an example. As a father... If the times you spend raising your kid now, the time you should spend raising your kid now, you are not spending it raising the kid. And you are making other decisions that seem wise now. In the length of time, the wisdom of the Bible says, train up your child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Listen, give time to raising that child now. Because in the length of time, everything you are doing now might make sense. But when time passes, the investment you should have made at that time in raising that child might come to bite you back. Are you paying attention? I'll give you an example. Give you a few other examples. It applies to many situations. You know, I remember this is, this is a very sensitive one for me. All right. Because I remember the times when, when I was in school and we would do ministry. Myself and my friends. And people will look at us as though we were foolish. I'm not kidding with you. It affected me to an extent that I genuinely sat down to think one day that am I foolish. Do you understand? People will look at us like we were foolish. We will be leaving class and be running because of programming stadium. Listen, we were diligent to the academics. But listen, we knew other things mattered as well. So people in our class honestly, genuinely made us feel feel, feel like we were foolish because we're carrying Jesus on our head. Are you following me? But listen, years passed. And this is not to, to make light of the conditions of different people, but years passed. And many of the people who laughed at us then, when we're making investments in doctrine, who we even tried to convince to come to the light of the gospel, Now, have seen the light. Are you with me? But it is evident to us now that it was a wiser decision that we started early. Are you with me? That we invested the time early. Because yes, listen, there's no attendance in heaven of when you got saved, but I will not have it any other way. The souls that have been saved through this ministry, I'm glad I invested time in school. Are you with me? My school time was a training for me in ministry such that when I came out, I could replicate it properly. Do you understand? So I will not have it any other way. The wisdom of God was, you know, is revealed in the time that now I can see that investing those times, that time is beneficial in the long run. I remember when we used to go back to back up to preach as well. Listen. It felt foolish. I'm gonna tell you the truth. You know how it feels when you've graduated and you are you are the one we're always seeing you in school every time. Don't you want to graduate? Do you get what I'm saying? Some people even think maybe you had extra year. Do you understand know what I'm saying? You are always in school every Saturday doing what? You know, I was invited them to come and preach in school almost every month in different chapels. There were many side comments that were used. You know, people might even say things like, "Oh, they don't want to leave because they enjoy people worshiping them." You know, things like that. It acts me, do you understand? It makes me feel weird. Like, why would you say such of us? Why would you say that? For people couldn't fathom how you, how we would leave Lagos every week to go back to the same place we graduated from. Why is the only you they're inviting every time? where our other friends were chasing career. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, we were chasing career as well, but we knew more things were important to be invested in. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it didn't make sense that we were coming every Saturday. People probably thought, like, you know what, these ones, they are not going to amount to anything. It didn't make sense. At the gate, you know, sometimes the securities will make that that comments. Like, "Ah ah-ah. Now They come every week. When I, never, when I never graduate. I mean, when I miss Babcock's. You know, those kind of things. Where you know the subtle undertone is that don't you have another work to be doing in your life? Are you not chasing, getting money, and making a career? And many of you don't know this story. And I'm going to share with you this story. At the time when we were going back to Babcock University to preach, in the whole of CCI, we were only three people from Babcock, that we're going to CCI. Only three. Please listen to me carefully. Are you listening to me? Can you hear me? Thumbs up if you can hear me well. We're only three. Except for maybe alumni that had graduated who will not be even more than two or three as well, or even one. But listen, we went back every Saturday for three months over the course of three semesters, or four semesters. Every Saturday, three months, we went. We had choir workshops that involved every choir on campus. Listen, those of you that just joined back up. You came into a place that a revival had already happened. Are you listening to me? We went every Saturday. We did a choir. We did choir concert workshops. With all the choirs in Babcock University. Those of some of you might have witnessed us having that. We invited people like Joy Bliss, like Victor Baju to come to school. To come teach. Myself, Biofi, who usually go every Saturday. Invited people to come teach. At the end of that year, listen, almost a, it was a huge revolution. Today I see it as a revival of the word. Because before the end of that semester, at the end. Almost every chapel you go, they were only singing outburst songs. Are you with me? For a place that knew nothing about it before. Almost every choir was singing outburst songs. At the end of the semester, Busa had a program. The only and most logical people to invite to come for that concert was outburst. Are you with me? It was outburst. And then gradually, everyone started to hear. And every choir was singing the song, and there was truth being taught everywhere. At least we had nothing less than five people in every worship center who at least knew the truth and was a worker and can influence the workforce. I was being trained in the world. Listen, in the record, that was a great revival in the history of that school. Are you getting it? A revival of the word. Sound doctrine got more prevalent in that school. So when people entered, you enter into a place that minds have been renewed. That's why you can see people that can relate with you. And we started to grow. So as people were graduating, people were joining us, we started to grow. I remember the first picture that we took of all of us in were in Baptist. I think we were like what 20 people. Every single person in that meeting was a part of the, 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 the teachings we did, and we got them out. Now, to the glory of God, listen. I'm going to give you the balance to it. All three of us that went to do that thing then, in the wisdom of God, we invested our times to doing that. So making sure that the people we taught different things before we left now know the same truth that we know. Did we suffer in our career because of it? No. I can tell you for sure today that the three of us are in very great places in our career. Fee himself is, is one of the top designers. I you mean, the top designers in Nigeria right now. I was about to say Lagos, but I'm telling you in Nigeria, I worked with one of the top agencies. Bio is working with one of the best software engineering companies here. All right. I've had three months experience of product management in a very promising startup in Nigeria. And I'm doing my master's down. Listen, our academics and life did not suffer. But can I tell you something? If today you tell us to give it all up, we'll give everything up again and we'll do ministry. It is wisdom in God. Can I tell you something? There are people who did not do what we did and thought it was wise to focus at times on career at that time. Are you with me? Not that we measure success based on finances and what we can do, but today, we are. if you measure where all of us are, are you with me? We are doing well. But success for us is not even in riches. It's that even if I'm not doing well in career today, The souls that have been won for Jesus is success enough. Are you listening to me? Is success enough? A hundred and fifty of you on the Catholic community or more is success enough. A branch in Babcock University is success enough. I was teaching people here in Windsor. It was a full house. We had even an atheist coming that was yesterday and a Catholic And I was able to properly discern and give the atheist answers. Listen, the investments I did in the spirit in those days are not wasted today. There's wisdom. It's wisdom to know the things that count in eternity and buy back your time. Invest time in those things. Are you with me? Invest time. I'm just going to skip because of time. Listen, when I say buy back lost time, let me give you the direct definition of it. Some people, you need to prioritize well. You need to prioritize well. I don't know how to skip this, but I want to make my point well. Let me emphasize well. I don't want to say this shabbily. I want you to get what I'm teaching you. All right? And we'll try and make sure the recording is also available early enough so you can release really listen to what we're saying, what I'm saying. You must buy, you must buy back most time. You must have control of your time. That's what the Bible is telling you is wisdom. Alright? If you are not careful, you will be ashamed. Some of you are in classes and offices that are so wild. You have to set it early. That this is who I am. This is what I do. So if you have a party for drinking, don't invite me. My time is more precious. Do you get... You must control your time. Redeem your time. Prioritize well. It's wisdom to know that there are some types of jobs you cannot do. Hey, listen. Are you listening to me? It's wisdom to know there are some types of jobs you cannot do. And even if you do, you cannot do it for long. For example, you wake up in the midnight to go to work. You come back in the midnight. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying... You have to wake up by 3 a.m. so that you can get to your office. And then you don't come back until 11 p.m., Monday to Friday. It might not be be 3 a.m. for you, but you wake up at such odd hours just to make it to work. And you come back so late, Monday to Friday. Then on weekends, you are not doing ACCA lesson or ICANN lesson. Please be wise. Do you understand what I'm saying? Please be wise. Please be wise. You can't grow in God like that. You have spent, even in your normal life, the wisdom of God means redeem your, redeem your time. Buy back your time. Where is the prayer time then? Where is the time to even calm down and think about other things? Please be wise. There might be little you can do about what I'm saying now, but don't accept it as your perpetual lifestyle. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't accept it. Don't accept it. You live in Ikorodu. You work in Lekki. I've done it before, so I can relate. You must strike a balance. I know you don't get to choose where your office is, but do everything in your power to make sure that you can have time for yourself and for God. You're living for a boss. I relate to the different conditions you are in genuinely, but begin to find a solution. No matter what you learn in church. It will be ineffective if you cannot apply it. So listen. Let it be your biggest ambition in life to have control of your time. Did you hear me? Let it be your biggest ambition in life to have control over your time so that you can truly live for God. Without controlling your time, you cannot truly live for God. Let it be your biggest ambition in life to have control over your time. I'll say it one more time. Let it be your biggest ambition in life to have control over your time. Don't have a life that would make you miss important seasons in your family. Don't have a life that would make you miss important meetings that would change your life. that you can't even take three days off for camp meeting that you know is the only time you get to pray because you are just so busy. Begin to plan your life thinking that, Lord, ah, I must be able to redeem and control my time so I can live truly for you. Don't have a life that will stifle the call of God on your life, that will stifle ministry in your life. Don't have that lifestyle. Please be wise. Please be. Be able to redeem the time. Find time to feed your spirit. Find time to pray. Find time for fellowship. You might not think anything is wrong, but it's a principle in the spirit that what you don't feed will be weak. Are you with me? Say I have the wisdom of God. Come on, say I have the wisdom of God. Say I can rightly apply the knowledge in the word of God. Say, I have control over my time. Say nothing controls my time. Say, I'm able to buy back lost time. Say it fervently. Say, I'm able to buy back lost time. Begin to pray in the language of the spirit over this. Just pray over this. We are able to buy back time. We are wise. We are wise in how we approach our timing, in our relationships. We are wise. We are